Now, the reason why I showed that little clip is because I think deep down inside of each and every single person, we desperately desire an encounter with God. Like there's something in our DNA, and I don't care if you're an atheist, agnostic, I won't say any denominations, I'm trying to behave myself. We all have this curiosity to what is behind the curtain. What's behind the curtain? And there's a deep mystery there. There's a reason why we long and desire to, to pull back that curtain and to talk to the man behind the curtain. Wizard of Oz gets it wrong, though. It's a great movie. I love the movie, but this part's a lie because what this part is telling us is that when you pull back the curtain, it's just a silly old man that's duping everybody, and he's bad. And this, believe it or not, this secular view has seeped into our collective conscience. The world tells us that God is vindictive and mean, and why would a good God allow bad things to happen? And so he's just got an ego problem, and, and this, is what, this is what we begin to see in the world. And I need, God's helping us to put it into perspective, this, this view, this worldview about who God is, his character, his nature, and what he desires for us. Uh, one of the things that has come to light lately with me, I've been hitting on it quite a bit lately within this church, when, whenever I'm speaking, and it, we, the church, you, me, uh, the church is, is defined as the called out ones. We, we have been called out in our, our everyday, daily life. That's why Sunday morning isn't just, it's not good enough. Don't dupe yourself into thinking that you're doing Christianity if all you do is one day and the rest of your week is, um, is just business as usual. So one of the, one of the terms that, that gets thrown around in Christian life is that the Lord has called us to be in the world but not of the world. Have you heard this? So... You know, as Christians, the ones that are called out, do we just completely segregate from society? Do we homeschool our kids? Do we uh, make sure we don't go to any bad movies? Do we completely unplug? I think that that might actually, sometimes I think that's probably a good idea, right? Some of the studies that are coming out on social media and technology are they're terrifying. So what part do we, what does it look like to actually be the church, the called out ones? And I think it all depends on perspective. And so when we talk about the world, what is the world? And, and again, I think it's been overused. I overuse it all the time. I'm saying we need to be in the world but not of the world. And what in the world does that mean? So here's, I believe, a better illustration. We're all stuck in an insane asylum. And we're the normal ones, maybe. The problem, with, the problem with being in an insane asylum is that when you're crazy, you don't realize that you're crazy. Well, hopefully I don't you know, offend anybody, but this is an illustration. The world is insane right now. It is crazy right now. 
It's bat doo-doo crazy right now. And we have to just say, all right, everybody's insane. There's a good chance that I might be insane. I need to be in this craziness, and I, and I need to anchor myself into something that is true, that is solid, that is strong. We, from last week's message, we have been called to walk in faith, not by sight. And sometimes when you begin to walk in faith, you just might think that you're crazy. Uh, that's, I've actually had this experience. Lord, are you kidding me? You want me to do what? But you see, when we walk in faith, we are at our sanest moment. We are at, we are at our clarity. Our spiritual lives are literally under attack. Our ability to sense, feel, touch, taste God's goodness and his presence, well, that's what the enemy does not want. And so he's going to keep you insane so you can't feel his presence, so that you can't encounter God, the true God, not the silly guy behind the curtain, the true God. He's going to pull back this curtain. He's going to reveal everything, everything about you and everything about this world. He's got a great plan. Now, the man of faith that we need to look at is Abraham. He is, he's amazing. Not, not only is he amazing, he is an overcomer. He lived a life that was extraordinary. He was successful. He lived a life that we should all aspire to. So we're going to be looking at him. Last week we compared him, the person that walks by faith, to his nephew Lot, the person that walks by sight. And today we're going to be focusing on his encounter. He had a number of encounters, but this one's very special. If you want to get your Bibles out, turn to Genesis chapter 15. Verse 1. <clears throat> After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. O oh, sovereign Lord, how can you give me, uh, give me since I remain childless and the one who inherits my estate is Eliezer? So he's this promise of God that he's going to be the father of a nation. Down to verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but the son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and he said, look up into the heavens and count the stars if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And this is the part that you need to underline. Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign God, how can I know that I will gain possession of it. How will I know 
Have you ever had a conversation with God? This is actually one of the first dialogues in the Bible where Abraham is actually talking back and God's talking to him. And God is giving him these promises. He's giving them this hope. He's seeding into him something. And this is really encouraging because we get to see Abram as actually human. Because he actually asked God, how will I know? How is this going to take place? It would be really nice, God, if you showed me things specifically. <laughs> I don't have good news for you, Gary. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, it's just that God doesn't work that way. That's the point of the whole message. I'm sorry. There's the sneak peek right there. So the Lord said, okay, this, is, this becomes one of the most intense encounters with God that we have in the Bible. Yet, it's, uh, it's not a very popular one. It is on par with Moses uh, engaging God at, at the burning bush or Moses uh, facing God face to face and talking to him as, a, as, as one would talk to a friend. It's just as important as Jacob wrestling, literally wrestling with God. So these are the great stories that we know about where man actually encounters God in a, in a really in powerful life transformation way. Uh, this one is just as important, probably even more important than most Yet we don't hear about it a whole lot because it's weird. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But this one's special and it's an important one and hopefully I can illustrate it and flesh it out for you. So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these things out to them. He cut them in two, arranged the, the halves on opposite sides, and the, and the birds, however, did not, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. Little side note. Whenever you present your offering to the Lord, whenever God is moving you into promise, whenever, for lack of a better term, whenever you and the Lord are striking a deal... You're coming to an agreement. Life is going to change for you. Guess what's going to happen? The enemy of God is going to send birds of prey to eat your offering. And you're responsible for chasing them off. As the sun was setting... Abram fell into a deep sleep. A thick and dreadful darkness came over him. This is a very interesting point. I have no idea exactly what it means. I, this is the curtain that we're talking about. This is the mystery of God. But see, this is, this is what's so fascinating to me is because in God there is no darkness. We, we serve the Lord of light. And yet, Abram's experience is that he is going into a deep darkness. Your translations might even say a deep and terrifying darkness. Yeah. So a good and loving God is going to give you an experience that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, that's shrouded in mystery, and is, frankly, it will scare your pants off. There is, a, there is a healthy fear of the Lord that we must get. He's not evil. He's not mean. He, he's not vindictive. But when you're in his presence, it, <laughs> there's something going on. 
most people respond in fear. And what's God's response whenever we respond in fear? Fear not, right? So a deep and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country of their own, and they will be enslaved, <coughs> excuse me, they'll be enslaved and mistreated for hundreds of years. Remember the first question Abram has? How will I know for certain? I want to know. I had a conversation with a young man this week, and he said to me, I just wish things were crystal clear. I just wish things were so clear. I said, you know, the Lord doesn't work that way. God speaks to us. He leads us. He draws us. But he's not obligated to make things crystal clear to us. We want it to be crystal clear. We want to know the end of the story. We want to know the details. This is why we read horoscopes. This is why we call Madame Tussaud on the telephone. We want to know. And God just simply doesn't work this way. So how does God give him specific answers? Does he give Abraham a specific answer? No, he doesn't give him a specific answer. He leads him into encounter. How will I know? God says, well, let me tell you. I'm going to draw you into a deep, dark, terrifying sleep. <laughs> Be still and know that I am God, is what he's saying. You, however, this is verse 15, will go to your father your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites, we talked about them last week, uh, has not reached yet its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, this is the weird part, folks, a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch appeared and he passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. They haven't got all that yet, by the way. And then he goes into all the different ites. So what in the world is going on? It's kind of a weird thing. First of all, uh, God says to Abram, Go get some animals. This is, this is the amazing part. Okay, for, we, we know that Abram's an obedient guy. He does basically whatever God tells him to do. So he gets the animals, and he immediately chops them up, and God didn't tell him to chop them up. Like, for us, this is really weird. You get some animals, and you chop them in half? That's... Okay, it's weird to us. It wasn't weird to them. So when, when, when God told Abram, go get some animals, we're going to make a deal. Abram knew exactly what was going on. So before, we had, before they had contracts, before they had written contracts, before they had marriage licenses, before you had a mortgage to sign, uh, they did things differently. They probably did things in a more powerful way because this is a powerful statement. They're going to make a contract. Abram knows exactly what's going on. This is not a mystery to him. He chops the animals in half. He knows that he is going to go into 
a covenant with God. God calls us into a covenant. We're going to make a deal. And so what they would do, they'd get these animals, they'd chop them in half. So sometimes uh, it was a king and a vassal that would come into an agreement, and then, you know, they're like, okay, well, I'm going to pay you taxes, I'm going to pay you tribute, I'm going to protect you, all this type of stuff. So they cut the animal in half, and then what they would do is that they would walk between the carcasses on the blood. And sometimes they would do a figure eight. They'd walk a figure eight around the blood, and they would say what they were going to do and what they were committing themselves to. They're like, I am going to protect you, and I'm going to give you taxes, right? We have a, we have a contract with our government. That's why we have to pay taxes. It's the same thing. It's exactly what's going on. So there's nothing really weird or mystical about it. That's just how they did things. This was, you know, let's get the ram, let's get the goat, uh, let's sign the contract, let's cut it. We're going to walk in between it. Both, of, both parties are going to walk in between. And when both parties walk in between, they are saying, till death do we part. They are, they are signing on the dotted line. They are shaking hands. They are saying, you are now a proud owner of a minivan. Right? And if this thing goes south, People die. This is, this is a death to you part kind of a contract. Okay, so does that make a little more sense? A little less weird, right? And so there was death on both sides. You walk on blood. It was, it was meaningful. It was powerful. And if any one of the two parties broke the rules, they were cut off. And then sometimes they were killed. So that's how important this thing is. So, interesting, huh? Now, what is up with this cauldron of fire and smoke? It's really weird, right? So in my mind's eye, I just see like this big black pot of smoke and fire that goes through, and it doesn't make any sense. So here's the thing. Abram, he is in a deep, dark, terrifying sleep, yet he is still conscious because somebody had to write this stuff down. So he's fully, he knows what's going on. He's, he, he, he knows that he's the one that cut the animals apart. He's the one that has agreed to go into this contract with God. And all of a sudden, he's immobilized. He's out. He's slain in the spirit for you charismatic folks. He's doing carpet time. He's done. And then he sees the fire and the smoke go through. Again, it's a big mystery. But the, the, the words that are used are the same words that, that Exodus uses when it describes the burning bush, when it describes the, the, the pillar of, of smoke and the fire that goes before Moses. When Moses enters into the thick darkness to encounter God, it's all the same language. God just manifests himself in different ways. Jesus hardly ever performed the same miracle twice. It's really hard to put God in a box. I've tried. Abram is sitting there immobilized, willing to sign off on the minivan, and God is the one that walks 
the covenant out. Abram doesn't even get to do it. So not only is this just a power encounter with God, not only is it some mystical union, a, a, a spiritual experience, this encounter highlights, foreshadows for us, the gospel message. I think it's the only encounter that does so in this way. Because what God is saying, we are going into relationship, we're going into covenant. If somebody messes up, we know the rules, somebody's got to die. But God doesn't allow Abram to do it. God is the one that walks through in power and in glory. He's the one that does it. We know the rest of the story. I hope you know the rest of the story. Um, who breaks the covenant? Who breaks the rules? Who doesn't follow the rules? We don't. Over and over and over again, the children of God continually break the covenant with God. They fall into sin. They worship idols. They do all these horrible things. And yet, God is faithful to that covenant. They broke the rules. He didn't. But here's the thing. Somebody's got to die. But guess who doesn't die? We don't. God sent his only son to die in our place. He died the death we should have died. He lived the life that we should all live. And he pays this ultimate price. You guys see it? You see this, the importance of this covenant? That means that we can do nothing in this covenant to get God's favor with the exception of faith, putting our trust and our hope in him. The reason why Abram is such a big deal, it's not because of his character. His character is terrible. The guy's a chronic liar. Might be a little greedy, a little stingy. He's got major character issues. But what we need to pay attention to is how he walks in faith, how he responds to God's call. What was the first thing that God called Abram to do? He says, I want you to leave Ur. I want you to leave this huge, powerful, beautiful, wealthy city. You're going to leave it. You're going to leave the land of your home. You're going to leave your family. You're going to leave everything behind. Abram says, all right. It's not in the Bible. I'm going to put words in Abraham's mouth right now. Why? Have you ever asked God why? Hmm? You really feel like God's calling you to do something, leading you to do something, and you make the mistake of saying why? That's not a mistake. It's just human nature. It's how we are. I'm sure Abraham, we, we know that Abraham's an inquisitive guy. He doesn't have a problem speaking up. I'm sure he said why. You know what God said? I'll tell you later. He says, okay, I'll go. Do we do that? Or do we have to have the why before we go? Hmm? I'm, God says, I'm going to make you a great nation. In order for Abraham to be a great nation, he's got to have kids. He doesn't have any kids. And he's got to have land. He doesn't have any land. 
I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm sure Abram said, how? We actually know he says how, right? How? God says, I'll tell you later. Abraham's response was, okay, let's do it. I'll tell you later. Let me draw you into this deep darkness, slay you in the spirit, give you carpet time. Encounter is what is the how. I'll do this one. God says, I'm gonna put a, I want to put a mark on you and your family so to separate you from the world, to separate, to separate you from the insane asylum, to make you marked differently. And it's called circumcision. And I'm sure Abraham's response was, say what? <laughs> Why? Right? But he just does it. It didn't make any sense. Here's the thing that gets even better. We'll talk about this next week. This is what gets even better. <laughs> Why? <laughs> God says to Abraham, now he's Abraham, not Abram anymore. And by the way, even after Abram got his name changed from Abram to Abraham, he, he still had character flaws. He still lied. I think you would learn, right? Check this one out. Abram, Abraham, you know that kid that I promised you? I want you to sacrifice him now. I want you to kill your own son. I, I'm sure Abraham said, why? And God says, I'll tell you later. Go up on the mountain. Let's do this thing. And Abraham did it. There's no crystal clear answers here. There is only walking by faith. And we got to get this about Abraham. One of my uh, life verses, it's actually illustrated right here. Like, you're probably wondering, why do we have a big giant boulder in the church and an anchor by the cross? It's Hebrews 6, 19. Uh, the author of Hebrews, whoever it was, whoever he, he was or she was, the author of Hebrews was fascinated by the life of Abraham. And he writes about Abraham's life some 2,000 years later. It would be like us writing about Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 6, it says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, strong and secure. We have this hope. It's an anchor for our soul, our emotions. Keeps us from going insane. It's firm and secure. And it goes on to say, it enters into the inner sanctuary and goes behind the curtain. Isn't that cool? So our hope or our soul longs to be with God, each and every single one of you. Our hope longs, and it goes in. If you have the courage, if you have the faith, 
you can actually go into the inner sanctuary and you can sneak behind the curtain and you can have an encounter with God, one that's deep, powerful, meaningful, transformational. You will not be the same if God comes into your life in a deep way. But then he says, the author of Hebrews says, Our forerunner, Jesus, has gone in before us, in our place, to do what needed to be done. He is a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. What in the world does that mean? You had to listen to last week. He is a priest forever. He is the priest king forever that walked this covenant for us. And we get the opportunity to go in behind the curtain and to go into pure encounter with the Lord. So how does this all apply to your practical life? Let's make it really applicable right now. Because I know your lives... Your marriages stink, you're broke, you hate your boss, you're depressed, you worry, you have any worry warts? Oh my goodness. <laughs> you worry? I don't know if you noticed, there's a lot of anger right now in our culture. Some of us are angry. Another big part of our culture is a lot of us are impatient. Another one of the keys of Abraham is he's probably one of the most patient guys on the planet. Like he would go years without even hearing from God, yet he was still faithful to that. When I'm in my boat of life, I get to drop this anchor and I get to choose how deep it goes but it's only effective if it goes all the way down. If I'm putting my hope into my looks, I got another 15, 20 years. This good face is gonna take me places. <laughs> this hot bod is gonna get me all the money I need. It's going to be the secret of, to my success, right? I put my faith and my hope and my looks in my body. What if I put my faith and my hope in my abilities, in my career, in my drive, in my willpower, in that je ne sais quoi, to, to, to pick myself up by my bootstraps? What if I put my faith and my hope in my education that's going to make it for me? What do you do when you lose all that stuff? What do you do when you, when you have a stroke and you're not as smart as you used to be? All right. I understand those, those material things. I'm going to put my faith and my hope in my family. Okay. That's actually a really good thing. But what happens when they die? What happens when you lose a loved one? What happens when you lose your spouse? What happens when you've built your entire life and your entire identity into the other person 
that you've married, and they have an affair, and they leave you. No. You need to drop the anchor, and you get to choose to let it go all the way down. Because if it doesn't go all the way down, it's just catching water. And your life, your boat, is going to float from here to there, here to there, here to there. No, I see, this gospel message, this message of faith, this message of grace, it is the most applicable thing that you can apply to your problems today. Are you worrying? If you are living a life of worry, that's because you do not trust God's plan for your life, and therefore you worry. If you have this undefinable anger boiling up inside of you, that's because you do not trust God's justice. Hmm? What's more important, our government's justice or God's justice? I think we're, we're getting this thing all muddled up here. No, we need, to, we need to trust in God's justice, and then this anger is going to lift off of us. If you're angry about politics, you need to quit living in that state. God is a just God, and he's going to pour out his justice, so quit being angry. What if you're impatient? You have to have it, and you have to have it now. You need to put your hope into God's timing. God's timing is perfect. His ways are not our ways. His plans are better than our plans. The only way that we really get it is going into the deep, dark, terrifying, scary encounters with God. It wasn't just for Abram. It's for us, too. Look at the band come up to the front. Why don't you stand with me? If you don't know Jesus, or if you don't realize that he's the one that paid for your sins by walking through that covenant and making the deal that we didn't have to make, The gospel message of grace is being presented to you. You might not understand the whole thing right now, but if you understand that you can't do it within your own power and within your own ability, and that you need God in your life, you're going to just pray this prayer with me in your, in your own time. I am strictly, I am 100% convinced that each and every single person on the planet has been drawn into deep encounters with God. And maybe you haven't had one yet. Be patient. It's coming. But I want to encourage you to open your mind to the possibility that a good and loving and faithful father is calling you in behind the curtain. Where you get to dwell in his presence here and now and then forever. I want to say to everybody, you can't escape from the insane asylum right now of this world, but you can be 
a nurse, you can be a helper, you can be different, you can be empowered, you can be a healer, a doctor. You don't have to be crazy like everybody else in this world. You are the church, you are set apart, you are called out. He's got big plans for the church. So Heavenly Father, right now, we just receive your grace. God, for those that are accepting this idea, that are declaring that they will have Jesus to live in their heart, and I gotta pray right now you give them the courage to declare with their mouth, believe in their heart, declare with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. I pray right now you bless them beyond measure and you give them their encounter now. And if you've never prayed that prayer, you need to, you need to grab a pastor and, and tell us about it. God, right now we pray for those that have waited in your presence for so long and they're calling out for answers and we are asking the questions why, we're asking the questions how, we are asking the questions when. I just pray that you just minister to us and just help us to be okay with the idea, with the truth that you say, I love you, I'll tell you later. Thank you, Lord.